0: I want us to think about the church this morning. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? What is our role? And whenever we see that word in Scripture, we always see the same thing. Uh, It's not talking about a building. It's not referring to a gathering. It's not referring to what we're doing here uh, this morning on Sunday. It's never talking about some sort of hierarchy or some committee, some structure. It's not about pastors and and shepherds and elders. But what it is, is it's always talking about a people. It's always talking about a community. So for starters this morning, I want us to take a journey through the book of Ephesians. If you will, go ahead and open your Bibles there. Now there's no doubt, out of all the books of the Bible, the book of Acts is probably the best at telling us what uh, the church does. Uh, It tells us that better than any other. But the book of Ephesians actually does the best job of telling us what the church is. So I want to look specifically at one idea this morning in the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul keeps introducing this idea of the mystery of God. There's this mystery uh, that he's going to unfold for us. And this mystery is that God has had a secret plan for all of the ages and it's been hidden and nobody's really understood it nobody's ever seen it but now now that mystery has been revealed to us in Christ so in Ephesians Paul begins to uh, unpack this mystery for us and there are there are at least two parts okay of this mystery the first part is that God has chosen in Christ through his death and through his resurrection To reconcile us to himself. The first part uh, is that God has chosen in Christ through his death and resurrection to reconcile us to himself. So Paul begins to unpack this in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 where he says that at one time we were enemies of God. We were hostile to God, but by grace, through faith, we have been saved. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that nobody can boast. All of that so that we could be one with God again, so that we could be reconciled back to God. That's the first part of God's mystery, this this unbelievable plan that God has revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, the second part of the mystery is in the latter latter half of chapter 2 where Paul explains that through the cross, God has done something else which nobody, nobody would have thought possible. God has created a new humanity. God has created a new humanity. He specifically refers to the fact that through the cross, God has torn down this dividing wall of hostility that existed between the Jews. Now, the Jews were God's chosen people, right? He has torn down this dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Those people that the Jews literally referred to as dogs. You talk about hostility. You talk about animosity. That's the way those two groups of people viewed each other. But in Christ, part of this mystery that's been hidden for all of the ages, God has torn down this dividing wall of hostility, that, that, that which Justin read to us just a few minutes ago. And he's taken Jew and he's taken Gentile and all of the things that would, would come between those two groups of people and he has placed them together and he's made one new man and he's reconciled them both back to himself. So the two parts of the mystery are that we have been individually reconciled to God and that through the cross... God has overcome the divisions in our world and he's created a new community, a new humanity that together is reconciled to God. And then we get to chapter three where Paul says some pretty, pretty wild things. Look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter three. We're going to fast forward down to um, verse eight. Paul says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now look at verse 10. I want you to really focus on verse 10 with me. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is saying that, that God has had this hidden plan for all eternity, And that that plan has now been revealed, the mystery now uncovered in Christ, which is that God wants to reconcile us to himself through the cross, through the death, through the burial, through the resurrection of Jesus. And he wants to create for himself a new humanity, a new people, a new people that transcend all the divisions and the evils in our world. And that new community is called the church. And God has taken this new community, this church, and he has put it on display. It's as if he has taken a spotlight and he has shined it down on the church. For whom has he put the church on display? What did our text say? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. is that what he says? His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be, would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. You've got to understand something about how Paul views the universe, okay? In Paul's cosmology and in, in, in the way he sees things, there are unseen forces at work in our world. You know, sometimes when you're Leading, when you're leading singing, when you're involved in the worship uh, leadership aspect, when Richie preaches, sometimes, you know, you get so involved in things and trying to get things done the right way that sometimes you're not really freed up to, to really worship the way you'd like to. That's just the way it is. As I was sitting this morning with my family and, and we were taking communion, normally I'm up here leading singing, we came to a part in that verse where it says, Uh, Though unseen, He meets us here in the breaking of the bread. And I couldn't even sing anymore. I had to just stop singing. Because I began to well up with tears and it just washed over me. Jesus is here. Christ is present. We've gathered in His name. And we're around His table. And He's here with us. I believe in unseen things. Do you? I believe in the Spirit of God that is present with us this morning. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You've got to understand some things. In Paul's vision, in his mind's eye, there are unseen forces that are at work in our world. And he refers to these things over and over and over again. He uses that language in his letters many times. These are the forces that are aligned against God. And against God's purposes, the forces which are behind all that is broken, all that is wrong, all that is sinful in our world. Things like hatred, racism, division, anger, strife, war, disease, even death itself, are all being worked by these powers and these authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that. You know, I... All you have to do is, is look at the uh, the news or read the papers. We are so blessed. We are so very blessed to live in the country that we live in. There are people that wake up every morning to the sound of mortar rounds and gunfire. And they look out in the streets and their are cars on fire. And buildings are, are, have been torn down that only yesterday were intact because of the bombing and the shelling. And every day they wake up to that. And so when they get up in the morning and when they, when they walk out into the street they go about things a little differently than we go about. We get up and we hop in the shower and we shave and we eat breakfast and go to work and and things are pretty, pretty calm around here, aren't they? But yet there is a war that's taking place. We don't see it because it's taking place in another realm, an unseen realm. But Paul is very aware of that. And he says there are forces that are at work in the, in, in, the, in the heavenly realms and he calls them the powers and the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. And Paul is saying that God has chosen to reveal his countercultural wisdom through the church. And he puts a spotlight on it. He puts a spotlight on the church and he calls to the heavenly rulers and authorities and he says, This is where you will see my wisdom. And my wisdom is has defeated yours. That's what's happening in the church. That's what's taking place. We are the manifold wisdom of God on display to the rulers and the powers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And though they rule now, I mean, you only have to look around to to see that they're doing some pretty powerful ruling in our world today. But though they rule now, their reign is short and it is sure and it is sure because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. You can say amen if you want to every now and then. Let me put it to you another way. In the Old Testament book of Job, that uh, poetic story begins with a scene in heaven where God has convened the angels around himself. And then it says, Satan... I don't know why I said it that way. Kind of sounded like Dana Carvey, didn't it, in Saturday Night Live. Satan! Satan, the accuser of the brethren, Satan comes in right there with them. We don't have time to explore it right now, but I think we have got to, to rethink some of the theology that we've always been taught. There's this idea that, that God had to turn his back on Jesus when he was on the cross because he was burying our sins in his body on the tree. And that God couldn't look upon him because God can't look upon sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. What do you do with the book of Job here? Where Satan comes right into this heavenly meeting. And God says, Satan, where have you been? What are you doing? Maybe we need to rethink some of our theology. But that's for another day, okay? Satan comes in and God says, where have you been? What are you doing? Satan says, I've been roaming all over the earth, going back to and fro, all around the earth. What do you think Satan was doing as he was roaming back and forth to and fro? Stirring up a little trouble, causing some hatred and wars and strife and jealousy and adultery and sinfulness. That's what Satan is doing. And what does God say to him? Have you considered my servant Job? Well, thanks a lot, God. Have you considered my servant Job? Why would God do that? It's as if God shines a spotlight on Job. Why does he do that? He calls attention to all of the evil powers. Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He calls his attention to Job. Why? Because in a world that seems to be just completely corrupted... Job represents the righteousness of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? Job was a righteous man. In the midst of all the sin and the corruption and the evil, Job represents the righteousness and the wisdom of God. And that's essentially what Paul says here in Ephesians 3. The powers and the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms look at the world and they say, what a mess. Look at all of the evil that we've done. Look at all the chaos, the sinfulness, the wars, the wickedness, the evil that exists. And God, in essence, says, yes, but have you considered my church? Because this is where you'll see my wisdom, a wisdom that doesn't belong to the world, a wisdom that doesn't come from the world. You'll see a wisdom that says the people are made alive and reconciled through the death of the Messiah on a cross. There you will see a wisdom that says all the divisions of the world, all the hatred, all the animosity that exists between different peoples have been overcome because they are a new humanity. Those dividing walls don't exist in Christ. Now. The reason I want to begin with this idea in Ephesians chapter 3 is because so often we look at the church merely from, from a human perspective, from a human point of view. What Paul does is he raises us up to a new, a new altitude. We're looking at the church from a different perspective. So why do we gather? Why do we gather here this morning? Why for 2,000 years have Christians gathered together on Sunday mornings? Most of us, if we answer that, we'd probably answer that from a human point of view. I mean, when you woke up this morning, maybe it was still dark and you didn't want to get out of bed. The fan, the ceiling fan was blowing and you were snuggled under the covers and you felt really, really good. You think, man, maybe I'd just rather stay here this morning. Why, Why do I want to get up? And go down there to Dundee Road and and gather with those people. Why Why do I want to do that? From a human point of view, you might say, well, we gather to learn. Or we gather to hear God's Word. Or when we gather, we grow in our faith. Maybe you might say, well, we gather to encourage one another. To spur each other on. To support each other. Or maybe, in a really clear moment, you might say, we gather to pay homage to God, to worship our creator. I asked some folks this week, why do we gather? What what would you say if I asked you that question? Why do we gather? And they said, "Well, we gather to worship. We gather to praise God, or we gather to give thanks back to God for all that he's given to us and done for us." And every one of those is right. And every one of those is good. But when you view the church from this higher point of view in Ephesians chapter 3, something completely different comes to light. The reason we gather on Sunday mornings is because when we gather together across socioeconomic barriers, across racial barriers, across age barriers, when we gather as one community at the foot of the cross, when we proclaim His good news, when we make confession, when we forgive one another, when we gather around His table and we pass the bread and we pass the cup, what we are declaring again and again to the heavenly realm is that God is so wise. God is so wonderful. His plan is so perfect. This is where you'll see the wisdom of God. And we proclaim that. As Martin read this morning, when Paul says, when you gather at the table, you declare the death of our Lord until he comes again. When you gather around the table, you are to declare the death of the Lord until he comes again. To whom are we declaring that? To each other? Maybe, but we already know that, don't we? Are we declaring that to our community? They don't know what we're doing in here. Most of them are still in bed. Some of them are probably drinking their coffee reading the the Sunday paper right now. Maybe they're headed to the lake, or maybe they're on the third or fourth hole by now, teeing off. I don't know. But who are we declaring that to? Every time we gather and we break the bread, and we drink the cup, and we come to worship, and we sing praises to God, we are declaring that again and again and again to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, God is King, and you're not. You are not the Lord of my life. I am not a slave to sin any longer. Jesus is my master. You're not. That's why we gather. In jesus name we don't gather here just for my benefit or for your benefit or for each other's benefit although that is a side benefit of why we gather we gather here in jesus name to proclaim the mystery that mystery has been unveiled the power of god is manifest in his church and it shows that when you love me in, in the midst of all of my sinfulness and I love you in the midst of all of your quirkiness and we don't look at the color of each other's skin or the lack of hair or the amount of hair or the slant of our eyes or the language we speak, none of that matters in Christ. See, that's why Paul says in Galatians that in Christ there's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Why? Because in Christ, what? We are all one. One. It has nothing to do with the role of men and women in the church. It says that we're one. Because in Christ, the dividing walls of hostility have been torn down, right? So we no longer view each other from a human perspective. The things that naturally divide people in our world, how much money you make, where you live, the color of your skin. You know, the sad thing is, is that this hour is still probably the most segregated hour of our week. We go to school, we go shopping, but on Sunday morning, this is still the most segregated hour of the week. And it just shouldn't be that way in Christ. There shouldn't be any dividing walls of hostility because we are one. I think it's so important that we start here, that we know this. We see the manifold wisdom of God on display in His church. And to understand that story, we've got to have a bigger vision of what we're involved in here. This is not just a community group. This is a cosmic community that every time we gather, in essence, we are screaming to the rulers, those dark forces in the heavenly realm, we are shouting, Jesus is Lord. And God is so wise. Look at His plan. Look how we love each other. In spite of each other, we love each other. Now let's think about our small groups for a minute. I want us to make this stuff really practical, okay? When six of us or eight of us or ten of us gather in your living room or around my kitchen table, it's as if God is shining a spotlight on that gathering. All across the city, wherever we're meeting, in White Oak or Diana or here in Longview or in the south side, wherever we're meeting, it's like there, there's a spotlight that is shining down. As you're gathering in those chairs or around that kitchen table, you're sharing a meal together. Maybe you're joining hands, you're bowing in prayer, you're opening God's Word. And regardless of where you've been or what you've done or what you look like, or what you're wearing, we come together as one body, one people, to bow before God, to study His Word. We encourage one another, yes. We build each other up, yes. We love each other, yes. That's what it's for. But in essence, what we're doing is we are proclaiming to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. Why would people get together in each other's homes? and study the Word of God. Why would they get together and love each other? Why would people take another hour or two out of their week, their busy, hurried week, to do that? It doesn't make any earthly sense. And that's exactly why we do it. Because it makes no earthly sense. <laughs> but it makes all the sense in the world when you realize that the Messiah died on a cross and he paid the ultimate price for us so that through the power of his resurrection, we might be one with God again, and not just one with him, but one with each other. So small groups is so vitally important. It's not just an add-on that we do here at Pine Tree. Small groups is really the lifeblood of what we do here, so much so that from a leadership standpoint you are expected to be in a small group we expect everyone to sign up for a small group you say Rodney nobody's gonna make me sign up (laughs) and that's true I mean we can't make you sign up we can't force you to attend a small group but small groups are so important it's it's important for you to grow for you to, to grow closer to each other and to God But it's important for you to be a part of that which is declaring the manifold wisdom of God. Small groups is so much more important maybe than you've ever even realized. We're doing things a little bit differently this time around in that our shepherds will not be leading a small group. They will not be hosting a small group. Hopefully, if you're in a group that is being led by a shepherd, you already know this. Okay, I'm not telling you this for the first time. But what we, are, what we have decided to do is that our shepherds really are, are trying their best to get out of, of making all these little day-to-day decisions that have to do with buildings and air conditioning and leave that to the deacons. And what our shepherds are wanting to do is to get into the lives of the people here so that when you have something to rejoice about, when you have something that needs prayer about, that you know who our shepherds are and you feel comfortable and you feel close to them. Ever how many small groups we end up with, 18, 20, 24, I don't know how many it's going to shake out to be. But what we're going to do is we're going to divide those amongst our six shepherds. So each shepherd will have three, maybe four groups that they will rotate around. So the first Sunday of the month, uh, they'll, have, they'll take their four small groups or three, or whatever it is, and they'll go and they'll visit that one, and they'll be a part of your small group. They're not there to spy on you. They're not there to see if you completed the lesson, but they're there to love you, to get to know you, so that you get to know them. And then week two, they'll rotate to another small group. So theoretically, in the course of a year, at least once a month, you'll have an elder to be a part of your group to sing with you, to pray with you, to study with you, to love you. And that is going to be just another way, another help, that our shepherds can get to know you and get to shepherd the flock here better. Let me say this. It's okay. I've, I've talked to God about this this week. And he has revealed to me that it's okay for you to change groups. I'm just telling you. I've been praying about this, and that's the feeling that I'm getting, is that it's okay. What, what I'm finding is that people here love each other deeply. And when they've been in a small group with each other for two, three, five, ten years, man, it is a strong, strong bond. And you know what? I love that. I think that's awesome. I think we should celebrate that we've got a church full of people that have found those kind of bonds and love each other deeply and from the heart. But let me let me say this. There was a time when you weren't in a small group with those people, right? And you got to know them for the first time, right? And now after two or three or five or ten years, you love them really deeply. And you're like, we're not changing groups. Well, let me just say this. You can still love those people. You can still go camping with them. You can still go out to eat with them. If you change them and, and, and get to know some other people in a new group. I didn't mean that you can't love those people still. But you just might open yourself up to learn to love some new people. Get to know some other people. Gary Cardin was telling me said for years every time we 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 flipped around, we would we would change groups because we just wanted to get to know more people. The thing about it is in a church of 400 450 500, you just can't know everybody. That's one of the reasons why we do small groups. Because you can get to know 6, 8, 10, 12 people. So this is the time. If your leader's putting pressure on you, saying, you're not changing, you're not leaving my group, you tell him that the word has come down, that it's okay. I'm just telling you. I've been praying about this, and that's the feeling I'm getting. It's okay to change groups. Let me wrap this up. My watch says it's 9 12, literally. So either time has uh, really slowed down or my battery has stopped. But I see uh, back there that we're out of time. We want 100% participation. You say, Rodney, you don't ever get 100% participation in anything. Well, but that's what we're shooting for. That's what I want us to shoot for. If you're physically able, I want you to sign up. Sign up, be a part of a small group. If you're physically able to do that, Be a part of it. If you've never been in a small group, if you're new to Pine Tree, this is the way that you're going to get to know some folks, that you're going to be able to to break down a body of four or 500 and get to know 6 or 8 or 10. And you'll be amazed at how quickly the church will shrink if you get to be a part of a small group and you get to know those people and get to love those people. If you're nervous or scared about being in a small group, sign up. Sign up small group is where you can love one another, serve each other, pray, study, grow closer to each other and to God. And when you gather together, you are screaming. You are screaming to the rulers and the authorities and the powers in the heavenly realms how great and how awesome and how wise is our God. Every time we gather, there's a spotlight on us. And we are declaring the manifold wisdom of God to the unseen forces in our universe. How cool is that? That that's what we're doing. How cool is that? That those unseen forces are watching us today, looking at what we're doing. That's why it's so important not to go through the motions. Not to just sing from the lips, but not sing from the heart, because those unseen forces are watching us. And when we pour our hearts into worship, and when we look across and we see a brother and a sister that looks way different from us, and yet we love them deeply and from the heart, what is that saying? It's saying God is so wise. God is so wonderfully wise, and His plan is perfect. And it screams that God is king and Jesus is Lord. That's how important it is. If you're not a part of the church, if you're not a part of that saved community, that cosmic community that declares that, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. If you need to come to Jesus, if you need to give your heart and your life to Him, to be buried with Him in baptism, to be raised up to walk in newness of life, today's a the day. Be a part of shouting how wise God is. If you need to respond for any reason this morning, let's do it while we stand, while we sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word.